Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Or as my Scottish friends say, 2 Corinthians. I don't think I have any Scottish friends, but I've heard them say that. Okay, I've heard Scottish people say, 2 Corinthians. Now, if you remember, we went through Lent. And we went through Lamentations. And you know what each chapter was in Lamentations. It was a funeral message. And then we had Easter. And Easter was a great time because we prepared up for that. But I just thought, as we were looking forward, what, what we should do. I wanted to turn some place where we would find some, and basically I'm going to call this words of faith. We're going to go through Second Corinthians and, and just hit places for the next several weeks that give us words of faith, words that minister to us, words that provide, as today, comfort for us, words that remind us of the Lord's care for us, of what he calls us to do, how he comes and ministers to us, and how we are therefore called to minister to those around us as well. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, be verses 3 through 11 today. Will you stand with me as we read the word of God, if you're able? Heavenly Father, come descend upon us with your Holy Spirit, that we might know these words, these words of faith, and today this, this word of comfort, and what it means in our lives, and how it is that you order our lives so that you might provide the comfort that we need that you might manifest yourselves in our heart, that you might make clear who it is you are and what it is that you give to those who belong to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. First, or Second Corinthians, verses 3 through 11. Now, the first two verses are simply Paul's standard greeting. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that, which, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many." This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. So 
Scripture is clear. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. The essence of comfort is reciprocal. It is extended and it is received. Someone extends comfort and the other person receives comfort. There are a few examples in Scripture, obviously, of people who have been comforted. David comforts Bathsheba upon the death of their child in 2 Samuel. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi was a comfort to her. And then, of course, Boaz comes and comforts Ruth. The Good Samaritan in Luke comes and comforts someone that others passed by. Now, the lack of comfort is also seen in Scripture. Rachel weeps for her children because they are no more, and she refuses to be comforted. False comfort comes from false teachers, Zechariah chapter 10. And in the day of judgment, there will be no earthly comfort for those who stand outside of Christ. In fact, they would rather hide under a fallen mountain than face the judgment of the Lord. And then, of course, the wrong type of comfort is seen in Scripture. All we have to do is go to Job and Job's three friends who came and attempted to comfort him, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Now, they did the, the first thing they did was great. Uh, they came and simply sat with Job for seven days and seven nights. It was the presence. They were practicing the presence of other people around them and didn't have to say anything, didn't have to do anything. All they did was come and be there. And that was great until they started to open their mouths. And then it all went downhill from there. And they began to accuse Job. Oh, your faith isn't great enough. Perhaps there's sin in your life. On and on and on. And finally, Job says, you all are miserable comforters. Miserable comforters. The failure of earthly comforts and comforters provides to provide lasting care points to the need for the comfort that comes only from our Heavenly Father and that only He can give. Our passage says, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort is He. Like the Good Shepherd, He comforts His sheep with a rod and the staff. Remember, we read the 23rd Psalm together. That was a time when David was remembering how the Lord had cared for him. All the things the Lord did, and even though David had to what? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but he feared no evil because the Lord was with him. It was he who comforted him. And then divine comfort is so often expressed in Scripture what we call anthropomorphically. We, We take God and his comfort and we make it into a human thing that we can understand. So Psalm 131 says, like a weaned child with its mother, we are able to rest in the arms of the Lord because he comforts us. Christ offers comfort to Mary over the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11, and then he raises him back to life. The comfort of Christ spills over into the lives of believers so that we can comfort those who are in need. In the same sense, why God has loved us, and what are we able to do with that? Love others. God comforts us, and what are we able to do with that then? We are able to comfort others and to show that comfort. And then, of course, Christ left us with the Holy Spirit who is the comforter, okay, the one who provides for all of our needs. One of the purposes of God's comfort as it is extended to us is that we are to extend it to others. 
Okay? So we know his comfort. Now that our lives have been touched with that, we understand it and are able to demonstrate it to others as well. Now, one of the realities of this world is that bad things happen to us. We don't need comforting until the bad things happen to us. So we have to understand that those things will come into our lives, and we define them as painful, disruptive, sorrowful, oppressive. Uh, The list goes on and on and on of, of the bad things that may come, trials, sufferings, any number of things. And as believers, we know that we are not immune from bad things happening. Okay? If you remember the book by uh, Rabbi Kushner, that's it. Why bad things happen to good people? That's not the right question. Okay? Now, the answer is simple. Why do bad things happen? Because we are sinful and the world around us has fallen. There are bad things here. It is a result of sin. But that's not the right title. I've got a t- little pamphlet in my desk that says, Why do good things happen to bad people? See, that's the real question. Why does anything good come into our lives, we who are bad people? You think, oh, Rand, I'm not bad. You're sinful and you live in a fallen world. What is it that we deserve? We deserve the punishment of God. What do we get? The great blessing of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that whole thought pattern is another message, so we're not going to go there, but we have to touch at least on the base of things will happen, God will comfort. Things will happen, God will comfort. What does God do for us in the midst of bad things? Okay. Bad things happen to God's people. Or better yet, God allows those bad things to happen. Remember, there are two aspects of God's will. We have God's direct will and God's permissive will. God's direct will means, um, um, boom, Paul's blind. God comes down, Paul is blind. That's his direct will. He acted in a miraculous way. God's permissive will, uh, Randy got a ticket for speeding. God allowed me, he didn't intervene and cut the engine off. He allowed me to go too fast and I bear the consequences of that. So there are bad things that will happen in our world. They are allowed to happen by our Heavenly Father. And all of us have experienced this to one degree or another. Okay? We know they happen. Why do they happen? And why does God, And what does God provide in the midst of those things? Now, I've got a list of things here. And uh, they're from a variety of sources, So, but, but basically they're all from Scripture. So let's look. First, God allows bad things to happen to his people to test the validity of their faith. To test the validity of their faith. Second Chronicles chapter 32, Hezekiah is king. And God says very clearly, he says, God left him to test him so that he might know all that was in his heart. Hezekiah is facing some pretty serious problems. And what the Lord does is the Lord says, Hezekiah, he doesn't say this to him, I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to leave you and we're going to find out what is really in your heart. So the Lord, in a sense, withdraws from Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, instead of pursuing the Lord, goes and makes a treaty with the Babylonians. A no-no. Okay? God's people rely upon the Lord. But the Lord wanted to test Hezekiah's heart. So he abandoned him, and Hezekiah failed the test. Secondly, God allows bad things to happen so that we might be weaned from the things of this world. 
weaned from the things of this world, to help break our attachments to the world and those things that we tend to trust in, human resources, human attachments, uh, the power and prestige, the influence of all the things that go on in this world. Sometimes the Lord allows things to happen in our lives so that we break that attachment to those things. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we all know the story. Um, There they are. Jesus has been preaching. There are 5,000. That's just the men. And uh, the Lord turns to Philip. He turns to Philip and he says, Where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Now, Philip has been hanging around with Jesus, and he has seen the miraculous in Jesus' hands that had been flowed. He's seen the miracles. So now is an opportunity for Philip to say, Lord, you can do anything. But what does he say? He checks his pocket, and he pulls out. He says, I've got 200 denarii. This won't buy food for everybody. Okay, he does an inventory of his human things. Of his human things. He was still relying upon human things. He did not say, Lord, if you deem it appropriate to feed this crowd, you can do it, and I believe it. He was still too tied to the things of the world, to human resources. So sometimes the Lord allows things to happen in our lives to pull us away from reliance upon human things, to rely upon the grace of our Heavenly Father. Third, the Lord allows bad things to happen to his people to focus their eyes upon heaven, to call us to basically what is a heavenly hope. Okay, Romans chapter 5. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bible open. And just to add... What went on with Philip, you know, the Lord, in the midst of our failures to realize that we need to trust Christ, in our midst of our failures where we cling too tightly to the things of the world, when we realize that what we have done is a mistake, that is when the Lord can offer his comfort to us. Okay? Now, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, the Lord calls us to a heavenly hope. Verse 3. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, the way is never disappointed. We are never disappointed because the Lord pours out things into our lives. Trials produce patience, endurance accumulates until you have a proven character, a proven character, a trustworthy reliance upon the Lord. And that lives in our hope. And Paul says of the sufferings that he has faced in this world, they are not worthy to be compared with the glories of heaven. And you know, Paul suffered. All of his life, he had been raised to do one thing, and then he was, he was very good at what he did, and the Lord came face to face with him, and his whole life was changed. And Paul suffered beatings and persecutions and shipwrecks and stonings again and again and again. But the, he said, you know, these things don't compare to the glories of heaven. The glories of heaven. 
Later, in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We do not lose heart, even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He says our affliction is so temporary here, but what it does, it helps produce this, this weight of eternal glory that lay ahead. Next, the Lord allows the bad things to happen so that we can see who it is that we really love. Who it is that we can really love. Trials will reveal what is most precious to you. If the cross of Christ is most precious to you, then you will endure trials with a sure knowledge of salvation in Christ. Now, the fifth one is really where we end up here in 2 Corinthians. The Lord allows bad things to happen to his people in order that he might reveal his comfort to us. That he might reveal his comfort to us. And I think, Lord, in the trials that I've faced, couldn't, did I have to do that? Couldn't you have revealed your comfort to me in some other fashion? Well, I didn't need his comfort until I was about to be crushed until I was about to be destroyed by the things around me, that is when I most needed his comfort, and that is when he provided it for me. God is always interested in manifesting his glory in the lives of those who belong to him. So it is God's desire that we understand who he is, about his graciousness, about his majesty, and it is in the sense of those trials and things that seem to crush us that he can come and comfort us and provide that insight into who he is and what he has to offer for those who belong to him. Look at uh, verse 3 back in in, uh, 2 Corinthians. (coughs) Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, And the God of all comfort, all comfort is in the midst of trials, sufferings, oppressions, that he will demonstrate his comfort to us. The psalmist says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips praise you. Better than life are the loving kindnesses and comfort of our Lord. He says it's better than anything else we can experience. Now, Paul, as I said, has seen his share of sufferings. He reminds his readers in other places of all the times he's been shipwrecked and stoned and beaten, etc., etc. And then he comes and says, but the Lord has comforted me, and I didn't want you to misunderstand all the things that I have faced. And the fact that it was in those things, in the midst of those stones hitting me, in the midst of being beaten with the rods, in the midst of all the persecutions that the Lord came and made himself real to me as he cared for me. Down to verse 8. Now, the Corinthians understood all these things. They had heard about Paul. They had heard about his life, etc. He had been there. And, and as we go through later chapters, we'll give you some more history about all this is going on. But here in verse 8, <clears throat> Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Now, he doesn't elaborate on that affliction. He doesn't say what it was, so we must assume that everybody knew what the affliction was, but they didn't know how bad it was. And Paul says, 
we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. It was beyond what Paul could bear as a human. Now, who knows what it was? You know, we know all the, a lot of the bad things that happened to Paul. What was this? This threatened to crush him, to destroy him. Verse 9, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And this is the crux of it. Paul says our oppression, our sufferings were so great that we had, in a sense, a death sentence within us. We wished that we could have died because it was so terrible to us, but yet it was our trust in God who raises the dead that got us through. Now, has God raised the dead? Yes. Jesus called Lazarus. He'd come out of the grave. Now, remember, he went there, and he delayed. And if you remember what's happened, he, he, he goes and he heals somebody else. He's got the message that Lazarus is ill. Lazarus is ill. He goes and he heals, I think, the centurion's daughter. And he gets there after Lazarus has been in the grave. How long? Four days. Now, three days is, is to make sure that they're dead. Four days, they begin to stink because Mary says, when Jesus says, roll away the stone, oh, he's been in there four days, surely it's going to smell. And he calls Lazarus out. So that was the power to raise the dead. We have seen this in the life of Christ. Jesus Christ himself did what? He came out of the grave. So this is the power that is available to us to comfort us in the midst of those things that we think are going to crush us, that are going to destroy us. Yet the God, God provides these things. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. We don't trust in ourselves. Because if we trust in ourselves, we will be crushed. Because there are things in this world that will simply stomp on us. And if we try to stand up and we say, I can handle this on my own, you will be crushed. There is a comfort that is available to us in our Heavenly Father. And that comfort is made real to us in a variety of ways. It's made real to us for those who come alongside of us. Remember Job's three friends? They did real well by simply being there. By simply being there and manifesting the love of God in their presence. It wasn't until they started to open their mouths and, and had bad theology and bad doctrine. They, we don't need that. We need comfort and presence. So it comes in the midst of people who are there with us. It comes in the midst of people who reach out and touch us and care for us. And then it comes in something that can only be described as the work of the Spirit. When he comes upon our hearts and sustains us through those things, he carries us through. When Jesus was at the tomb with Lazarus, and he asked the sisters, he said, do you believe in the resurrection? The one says, oh, I believe the final days will be resurrected. What Jesus was really saying is, do you believe I have the power to care for you? I mean, when you stand at the tomb and, and, and Jesus says, don't worry, he's just asleep. Do you believe I have the power to care for you? Or are you going to cling to the things that your eyes can see before you in the things of this world? He is the only one who could raise the dead. If he can raise the dead, surely he can comfort us. 
when the world around us threatens to crush us, when we can no longer hold on to, the, to this world, Lord says, I'm there to catch you. It was a construction worker, and the, it was a high steel guy, so they were a little bit behind in their work, and they were working late into the night, and he was on the, the one side of the building, uh, you know, many floors up in the air. He's the only one over there because he had this one little thing to take care of, and while he's there, he slips, and he falls, and he grabs onto the beam, and he's just there hanging on by his fingertips, and he yells out, and it was a construction site, and so nobody could hear him, and he's there, and it's pitch black, he can't see, he just knows that he's high in the air, and he's got to hold on, he's got to hold on, and after a while, his calls for help went unheard, nobody was coming to him, and he finally just couldn't take it anymore, and he let go, and he fell, and he fell three inches to the scaffolding that was below him, Hmm? Okay, he, it was so dark, he couldn't see that the whole time that he thought he was about to die, that he was there to be caught. Okay? Sometimes in our lives, the trials and the pressures become so great that we think we are going to die, but the Lord is right there. Let go of the things of the world. Rely upon his comfort. He says, I am there to catch you. I have the power to raise the dead. Do you think I would let you go? You who belong to me, my son has died for you. I will provide the comfort that you so desperately need. See, it's so strange. This comfort that comes in the Christian's life. Like the cup in Psalm 23. My cup does what? Overflows. When a cup is filled to overflowing, whatever spills out of the edge has been put into it. But here, there's a supernatural process in the things of what the Lord does in our lives. If suffering is poured into a Christian, then the Christian will overflow. But he will overflow with comfort when he relies upon the Lord. Yes, suffering will happen to us. Those things will happen. But the Lord will comfort you. And out of your heart and out of your life will come the ability to comfort others. Verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also are our comfort. So also is our comfort in abundance. We will suffer. You will be comforted even more. My grace is sufficient for all things you will face. Where sin exalts, grace exalts even more. You read one last thing to you from Charles Spurgeon. You know, he's one of my favorites. It is a blessed thing that when we are most cast down, then it is that we are most lifted up by the comforts of the Spirit. One reason is because trials make more room for comfort. Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. The spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deeper and makes more room for the Lord's mercies. God comes into our heart. He finds it full. He begins to break our comforts and to make us empty. Then there is more room for grace. The humbler a man is, the more comfort he will always have because he will be more fit to receive it. Another reason why we are often most happy in our troubles is this. Then we have the closest dealings with God. When the barn is full, man can live without God. When the purse is bursting with gold, we try to do without so much prayer. But once our security is taken away, 
we want our God. Once the idols are removed from our lives, then we are compelled to honor the Lord. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. There is no cry so good as that which comes from the bottom of the mountains. No prayer half so hearty as that which comes up from the depths of the soul through deep trials and afflictions. Hence they bring us to God, and we are happier, for nearness to God is happiness. Come, troubled believer, fret not over your heavy troubles, for they are the providers of great mercies and great comforts. Let's pray. Lord, you never guarantee that we will not be afflicted in this world. In fact, you say if we attempt to live godly lives, we will be afflicted. We know that we live in a fallen world. Your word is clear about that. There is sin. Where there is sin, there is pain and trouble, trial. But yet for those who stand in Christ, for those who have received him as Lord and Savior, you offer this comfort to us. It is not something that the world understands. It is not something that we can put in a measuring cup and and tangibly say, this is what you do. We know it when we put aside the things that we hold on to in this world and cling to you. There it is that we find your comfort. It is demonstrated to us in the body of Christ as they come alongside of us in our moments of trial and care for us, offer words of encouragement, cards, notes, hugs, presents, Whatever it is, you are working in those fashions to demonstrate your care for us. And when the afflictions of the world, we are confident that they are going to destroy us and we can't take another day, you bring your comfort. When our hearts are empty, you can fill them to overflowing. When our cup seems to be full of sufferings, you pour in your comfort and grace and that flows from us. Come, Heavenly Father, to those who need comfort, descend upon them, that they would feel your grace and your presence. Use us as your instruments of comfort, Lord. And for those of us who have been so richly blessed by it, that we might be a blessing to others and demonstrate the comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the mercy that he has provided for us to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our hymn is 91, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Let's stand as we sing.